Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 21. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The Bible says you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The Bible says that you are to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and everything else, including your destiny, will be added unto you. That's what the Bible says. God knows your destiny, and you know your purpose. Your destiny, listen, is already scripted. Huh? Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not evil to give you a future and to give you a hope. Psalm 84, 11 says, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk upright. You see, that's your destiny. It's already written for you. God's going to give you everything that you need. And God's got good thoughts toward you. Somebody need to put your pen down, clap your hands for the Lord and say amen. And thank God. Here's a word for the day for you. Providence. Providence. If you've been around here at Calvary Chapel, you know I've explained this word to you before. Providence comes from two words in the Greek language, uh, two words in the English language, uh, pro um, and dentia. Pro meaning to see and dentia meaning in advance. To see, the word providence means to see in advance. By the foreknowledge and the providence of God, God is supernaturally arranging and orchestrating every event in your life. You don't need to discover or apprehend or worry about your destiny. God knows your destiny. And in order for you to lay hold of your destiny, you need to do what David did. What David do? What David do? David waited. Where? At the stone of Ezel. Jonathan told David, y'all ain't hearing me. Jonathan told David, go wait at the stone of Israel. What you got to do to get to lay hold of your destiny? Nothing. And you know what? Doing nothing and waiting, that should be a spiritual gift. God is my living witness. Doing nothing and waiting should be a spiritual gift. My Christian said, it's hard. It's hard to do nothing. It is hard to just wait on God. The Bible says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Wait, I say, on the Lord. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Where y'all at? They shall walk and not faint. Waiting should be a spiritual gift. For you to lay hold of your destiny, you need to wait and trust 
Psalm 37, 4 tells us to trust in the Lord and do good and feed on his faithfulness. Wait at the stone of Azel. That's what David did. The stone of Azel means the stone that shows the way. God will show you the way. Well, be that as it may, notice in verse 1 in our text, David, let's get to it. David came to Nob, Nob. Now, David's life, listen, is going down one domino at a time here. This is the chapter where you say things can't get any worse. He's lying. He's fearful. He's a fugitive. He lost his best friend. You got to remember, David doesn't know the story. He hasn't read First and Second Samuel. Say amen. Please tell me y'all knew that. He hadn't read First and Second Samuel. He, he doesn't know the story. He, he doesn't know the outcome. He doesn't know things are going to get better. David is around 20 years old at this time. And think about when you were 20 years old. What did you know when you were 20 years old? Absolutely. I have that written on my notes and all caps bold, highlighted, underscore. When you were 20, you ain't know nothing. Listen, if you here and you 20, you think you grown, you ain't grown. Especially if you're living at home. Okay. I'm grown. I'm grown. I'm grown. You ain't grown, not if, you, not, not if you living in my house and I'm paying an electric bill and you ain't giving me no money toward these bills. You will do what I say, when I say, how I say it. Why? Because it's my house and you ain't grown. What you know when you were 20? Nothing, honey. You ain't know nothing when you were 20. And David is no different. Don't, don't remove this is what people do, and this is why people can't come to the right understanding of what the Scripture says. Don't remove these men and women in the Bible as if they're not real people. Because when you do that, well, then, you, then it's weirdness. And it's spooky. The Bible gets spooky, and the apostles get in stained glass windows in churches. And then whenever you see one of them, you go, they're holy and I'm not. When you remove them from Scripture, don't do that. Do yourself a favor. When you read the Bible, read it just like you're reading a novel from today. David was just like anybody else. Saul, bitterness, jealousy, and all, just like everybody else. Jonathan, just like everybody else, a faithful, loyal, loving brother with David. They had a great relationship. These are normal people, and David is only 20 years old, and God has stripped everything away. God has stripped him down to nothing. At this point, like I said, his life is going down one domino at a time. And now God is requiring of him even yet more. Things are bad for David right now. He's at a low point in his life. This isn't the time to trust in man. This is a time when you have to start talking to yourself. What? Talking to yourself? Oh, absolutely. This is the time you need to start talking to yourself and begin to remember and tell yourself the promises of God. That's what you need to do. Like when things are really, 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 really bad. I'm so glad to be back on Wednesday night. I love Wednesday night. I love Samuel. When things are really, really, really bad, this is the time to start to remember the promises of God. David, this is the time to think about it's Samuel whispered in your ear, you're the next king of Israel. God has anointed you. He told him that. 
This is the time to remember those things, not start running and lying and being deceitful, because that's what we have here in chapter one, uh, chapter 21. David is running and lying and being deceitful. Now's the time for David to remember, and now's the time for you to remember the promises of God. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. That's what you need to remember. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. All things work together for good to them that love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Nothing shall separate me from the love of God. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age, being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you shall complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. David, remember, God told you, You're the next king. You got to start talking to yourself and remember what God has done when things get bad. Can two saints say amen? David does what many of us do when troubles come. We go seek counsel from the world, don't we? And sometimes uh, that counsel isn't very good. You go seek counsel from the world. Look at verse 1. David finds himself in Nob. Nob is about a mile and a half northeast of Jerusalem. If you've ever been with us to Israel, you, kinda, you can get a picture of that. A mile and a half northeast of Jerusalem. This is the city, listen, Nob is the city where the tabernacle was located in that day. Kirjath-Jerim is the city where the Ark of the Covenant was located in that day. The Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle were in two different places at that time. Of course, where the tabernacle is, you're going to find priests. There are about 86 priests living in Nob, working at the tabernacle. One priest in particular is named Ahimelech. His name means, my brother is king. Write that in your margin. My brother is king. The Bible tells us Ahimelech was afraid when he met David. Now get the scene. David shows up. Everybody knows David. He shows up looking weary and hungry and disheveled, and maybe his eyes are red from crying because he just left Jonathan, and he knows he'll never see him again. David shows up, Ahimelech says, why are you alone? He's thinking, why would a prominent man like David be wandering around in villages by himself? And the Bible tells us he was afraid because he knew, here's why, listen, y'all listen? Here's why he was afraid, because he knew he, Ahimelech, knew that if Saul is looking for David, David coming to the city of Nob is bringing drama to their city. Is bringing a problem to their city, and they don't need that. So he asks, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And did you note this? David makes up a story. Did y'all not pick that up? Look at verse 2. David said, I'm on a mission from the king, and I can't tell anybody. Now, before we go any further, listen, one of the reasons why I love the Bible, one of the many reasons why I love the Bible, and one of the reasons why I know the Bible is inspired by God, why I know is because the Bible is the only book that tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, whether it's good truth or bad truth. Nobody, listen, nobody writes a novel and tells you the bad stuff. No one does that. You won't sell many books. 
You'll never be on New York Times bestseller because you got all these skeletons. You wrote it all in your book. I mean, you have those tell-all books. I got that. But no one writes a book about themselves and tells all their dirty things. I mean, deep stuff like um, I was a liar and a deceitful person and I murdered someone. You ain't going to tell nobody that or you be in the jail. <laughs> and I took a man's wife and I had that man killed. I didn't mean to say it like that, but it came out like that. <laughs> Kilt. <laughs> Killed it. <laughs> Nobody's going to write that. That's why we know the Bible's inspired by God, because the Bible tells the truth, whether it's good truth or bad truth. The Bible tells us the truth. The Bible told us Moses committed murder. The Bible tells us Abraham gave his wife to a harem for, for the king. Peter denied the Lord three times. The Bible tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, good or bad. And here the Bible tells us that David is a liar. Not only is David a liar, David's a murderer, an adulterer, a fornicator, and by the way, a man after God's own heart. The Bible is true, even if it's bad truth. Somebody say amen. And bad truth, listen to this. Bad truth really magnifies the grace of God even more. Bad truth magnifies the grace of God. Proverbs 24, 16. Though a righteous man may fall seven times, he rises again. You see, bad truth magnifies the grace of God. Because if God can use a fornicating adult murderer, liar, deceitful man like David and call him a man after God's own heart, not because of what he did, but because of the condition of his heart. This glorifies God, glorifies God even further. And it helps us to understand that even though we all have sinned, there's none righteous, no, not even one in this room. Even though we all sin, God's grace is bigger than our sin. You got to be glad about that. You got to be. His grace is bigger than your sin. So David in verse 2 is at rock bottom. He's lying and being deceitful to the pastor. Why have you come? He says, uh, well, you know, I'd love to tell you, but I can't because the king ordered me not to tell anybody. You know, CIA stuff on a secret mission. You know, you know, I can't tell anybody. David said, I sent some of my men. Look at verse 2. I sent some of my men. What men? Where are these fictitious men? But he says, oh, I sent them to a different place. In verse 3, David says, listen, I need five loaves of bread and anything else you got. Verse 4 and 5, the priest says, we don't have any common bread, just holy bread. Ahimelech said, if your men have kept themselves holy from the ladies, then I'll give you leftover bread. And by the way, we don't call it common bread. Now, let's just back up a bit. Let's back way up, okay? The tabernacle. The tabernacle had how many compartments? This is two, y'all. I'm not saying peace, all right? Y'all looking at me like, yeah, peace, bro. <laughs> no, the tabernacle had how many compartments? Two compartments. You had the holy place and the most holy place or the holy of holies. In the holy place was the menorah or the lampstand and the table of showbread. In the most holy place or the holy of holies was the ark of the covenant and the mercy seat that sat on it. The veil of the temple separated the holy place from the most holy place. 
The table of showbread was changed once a week or every Sabbath. The table of showbread had 12 fresh loaves of bread on it at all times. These 12 loaves were significant or they represented the 12 tribes of Israel. They were stacked in piles of two or, or um, I, think, I think you say piles of six. Do you say piles? Like six, two piles of six. That's how you say it. In two piles of six for 12. The table was on the north side of the tabernacle opposite the menorah. Every Sabbath, the old bread was removed and a new bread was placed on the table. And listen, here's here's where this comes in. The priest could eat the old bread for dinner. That's part of their sustenance. So they have plenty of carbs. (laughs) Plenty. And and listen, those pieces of bread, I've actually seen like a... um, like a, um, um, what do they call it? A replica, amen, a replica. It's hard up here. And a, a rep of the bread. And it's not like, a, before I went to Israel and saw a, you know, a replica of the bread, I thought it was just like, um, you know, like a, a fajita bread that's thin and flat and, you know, round and so big. That's what I thought. No, no, no. This bread is this thick and about this round. And it's six of those in stacks of, you know, two stacks of six. So this is a lot of bread. The priests were allowed to, when they exchanged the bread weekly, the priests then could eat the old bread. Now you might remember, listen, let's tie this into the New Testament saints. Matthew chapter 12, you here to learn something? Learn this. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus and his disciples are walking, they're talking, they're fellowshipping, and they got hungry. And the disciples grabbed the heads off the wheat. And they rubbed the husk together in their hands, remember? And they blew the chaff away, and they began to eat. And the Pharisees caught the disciples plucking grain and eating on the Sabbath, which is always interesting to me. How do you catch anybody plucking grain? How do you, you got to wonder, did they hide in the field? And then when the disciples like pulled some grain, they went, aha, we got you eating granola, you sinner. I mean, how did, how did that happen anyways? The problem wasn't that they were eating the grain. The problem was they were eating the grain. Anybody know? On the Sabbath. They were violating the Sabbath, rubbing the grain together. Rubbing the grain together was considered working on the Sabbath. Jesus said in Matthew 12, please look it up in your own time. Jesus said, fellas, you have not read. Or he said, have you not read? Now listen, when Jesus says, have you not read? That's a mock and a rebuke and an insult to them. He says, have you not read? He's saying to them, you don't know your Bibles. You guys are supposed to be religious folk and you don't know this stuff. The reason you're accusing us of breaking the Sabbath is because you don't know the scriptures. And then Jesus told them the story of 1 Samuel chapter 21. Look it up in your own time. He then tells them this story. Jesus said, remember, David was running from Saul and hungry, and he went into the house of the Lord and he ate bread that was for the priest only. And Jesus was making the point that Ahimelech broke the priestly custom and he did the right thing. Why? Because human need was more important than Levitical observance. Well, look at verse seven, because verse seven, the plot thickens. There's a certain man, a servant of Saul whose name was Doag. He was an Edomite. 
And the Bible tells us that he was the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. So it's possible, listen, that David knew him and maybe they recognized each other. But either way, David catches sight of Doeg, the Edomite, and David knows his position has been compromised. And soon and very soon, Saul will know where David's location is. Now, the word chief could mean violent, mighty or violent. And that would be true of Doeg in the Hebrew language, mighty or violent. And that will be true of Doeg because as you look at chapter 22, okay, guys, come with me. Go to chapter 22 and look at verse 18. Chapter 22, look at verse 18. And the king said to Doeg, look at verse 18. You looking at it? Say, I'm looking at it. And the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priest. And so Doeg the Edomite turned and he struck the priest and he killed one that day, 85 men. That's why I said there was 86 because Abimelech or Ahimelech would be that 86. He killed 85 men who, who, who wore the linen ephod, the priest. Also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword both men, women, children, and nursing infants, ox, oxen, donkeys, and sheep with the edge of the sword. So Doeg slaughtered the priest. He slaughtered the women, the children, the livestock. He slaughtered all, you know, the whole community. And the priest of Nob helped David, and that's why Doeg killed him, because they helped David. There was a priest named Abathar. We'll read about him later, who escaped by slaughter. And when David left Nob, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but when David left Nob, he went into hiding. Matter of fact, we'll talk about it, not next week, but the week after. Maybe the week after that. When he left Nob, he went into hiding in the cave of Adullam, and he heard about this slaughter. Okay? Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. First Samuel chapter 21, look at verse 8, uh, 8 through 10. So David said to Ahimelech, I want you to read it again. Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, nope, we only have Goliath's sword. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. David asked Ahimelech, is there a spear or a sword that he can take? And he gave them the excuse why he didn't have one. Did you notice? He said he had to leave quickly and he didn't have time to grab anything. Now, that's a lie. And there's some truth to it as well. He did have to leave quickly. But it wasn't for the reasons that he said. In verse 9, Ahimelech said, we've got Goliath's sword wrapped up behind the door. David said, great, there's nothing like it. I'll take it. Give it to me. Now, listen, David had the sword of Goliath. He would have been better to have the same faith that he had when he killed Goliath. Thank you, Lord. He would have been better to have the same faith that he had when he killed Goliath. David didn't kill Goliath with lies and half-truths. He did it with trust. 
And I told you that David's losing his confidence in God and, 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 and self-respect and self-confidence. David is losing confidence in the plan and the purpose and the promises of God. And he's trusting in the Philistine's swords more than a shepherd's tools. And that's not good. Because some men trust in chariots. And some men trust in horses. But we were what? It actually says we will trust the name of our God. But I'll take it, the Lord. See, David's now trusting in the flesh. He's trusting in the things of the Lord. Y'all picking that up. He's trusting the things of the Lord now. Because God took down Goliath with a shepherd's tool, a sling, and a stone. That's a shepherd's tool. When the foxes come around trying to eat the sheep, the shepherds would take the sling, sling a stone, you know, hit the foxes or whatever was it trying to attack the sheep. They would protect the sheep with a shepherd's tool. But now David is looking toward the Philistine's sword. Well, look at verse 9. Verse 9 kind of struck me. Look at verse 9. There is none like it. Give it to me. We live in a culture where people want to take away the word of God. Am I right about it? We live in a culture where people want to disregard the word of God. David said concerning Goliath's sword, there is none like it, give it to me. You know, we should always say that same thing about the sword of the Spirit. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.